Today we're going to look at the impossible. What do you do when the impossible slams into you, runs over you? I kind of have wrestled with that in this last week as we found out the news that uh, my mom, her health uh, is such that it may affect the length and the quality of her life. And so we'll find out the answer to that a week from tomorrow. But what do you do when you're faced with something that just seems impossible? Well, what we need to do is we need to go to the God of the impossible. And so as we head in that direction, watch this clip from the upcoming movie, Heaven is for Real. We need to get him in surgery right away. The pain that I suffered watching my son that close to death. Your son had a near-death experience. The hospital staff said that your son was not expected to survive. Use the word miracle. Mommy? Yes, Colton? Did you know I have a sister? You didn't know that Cassie's your sister? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? Honey, I told you I had a baby die in my tummy. In heaven, this little girl came up to me. She told me she died in your tummy. We've been here before, pal. You're your grandpa named Pop, right? They died when I was about your age. He's very nice. You saw my grandfather? Where did you see him? In heaven. Is this him? Is this the man you saw? No, in heaven, everybody's young. Is this him? Yeah, that's him. That's Pop. Everything he talks about is impossible. Oh, that word impossible. If we uh, have a tough day, we say, oh, my schedule today was impossible. We're trying to reach out to someone in a government office. Sometimes we say that seems impossible. Sometimes, too, if we have to deal with people that are kind of hard to deal with, we might say that they are impossible. The truth is, when it comes to our schedules or trying to reach somebody in government or dealing with people that are kind of troubling or stressful to us, that they're not really impossible so much as they're difficult. And you see, difficult is beyond our scope of preference. In other words, it's beyond how we would like things. Sometimes our schedules are that way. Sometimes trying to reach out to somebody in government may be that way. Or sometimes people we have to deal with, it's just outside how we'd like things to be. But difficult is not the same as impossible because difficult is beyond our scope of preference where impossible is beyond our scope of perception. In other words, when something impossible slams against us, we don't have any place to put it. We don't have any way to deal with it because it's just outside of what we can conceive. And so this week, as I shared with you, we were kind of hit with the impossible News about my mom and news that her health may affect the length and the quality of her life. And so as we wait this week for answers next week, how do we deal with that? I've thought a lot about that this week, and that's kind of the reason we're talking about this this morning. So when the impossible runs into us, it seems like the color in life will turn to black and white and can even turn to gray. 
And so what does God have to say about what is possible and impossible? Well, Matthew's 19th chapter, verse 26 in the NIV says, With God, all things are possible. If we go just a little bit deeper, we see Mark 9, 23 in the Good News says, All things are possible for the person who has faith. If we take that one step further in Matthew's 17th chapter and 20th verse in the New Century Version, it says, If your faith is as big and some versions say as small, as a mustard seed. Now, what is the size of a mustard seed? Well, if you take a look at that hand on the screen, look at the little finger, and you see that right there? Right there next to the arrow? That is the size of a mustard seed, okay? So, if your faith is as big or small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. All things will be possible for you. And so when it comes to our faith and what's possible, few of us are really looking at externally moving any kind of mountain. The mountain that we would like to move is that lump inside of us when we are socked with something impossible. And says Luke's first chapter, verse 37, the NIV says, For nothing is impossible with God. So let me ask you this. When the impossible comes and hits you, slaps you in the face, knocks you down, However it encounters you, when the impossible hits, what are you to do? I mean, like this poor person on the screen that's gotten hit by a car. It's just shocking. And so when the impossible hits us, what's our response? Well, if we look at Peter, you remember Peter? He walked on water towards Jesus. We see that in Matthew's 14th chapter, verses 29 and 30 in the NIV, that when Peter walked on the water and came toward Jesus... He then saw the wind, and he was afraid. Well, let me say, walking on water is impossible. Can't be done humanly. And, but he was doing it. And why was he doing it? Because his eyes were fixed on Jesus. But then what happened? Then what happened? He looked around, he saw the wind, and he saw the waves, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. Because humanly, it was impossible. And so what was his response? Well, basically, he cried out. And you know, when we are slapped with the impossible, we do the same thing. We want to cry out. And that may work for the first second we're crying out, but then it stops. And then what we do? Well, then what happens is that cry doesn't go away. We still have that desire to cry out. And, and that cry bounces around kind of inside of us. And it kind of has sharp edges. So as it bounces around inside of us, it kind of nicks and cuts us inside and wounds us inside. And I need to tell you that... Uh, I have a very, very incredibly strong stomach and digestive tract. I have never in my life ever even considered taking an antacid until this week. And this week there were several days that I, for the first time in my life, took an antacid because that cry about my mom inside just bounced around to the point to where it caused me some distress. That's the way it is. It's kind of like a silent scream. You just want to scream out, but you know it's not really going to do any good. Now, when I was little, I, like most kids, had a few bad dreams. And when I had a bad dream, I'd run to mom and dad's room. Mom would come back, and she'd sit down in the bed, and she'd rub my head and say soothing things to me till I could fall asleep. And I remember for a period of time, if I'd have a bad dream, I'd look over, and I'd see my mom at the door. And I'd want to cry out to her, Mom, I had a bad dream! But I couldn't do so. I couldn't scream. And, and then I would wake up and realize that was kind of the tail end of the bad dream. 
But we're like that. We want to cry out when the impossible hits us, but we can't really do that. It's really more like a silent scream that just bounces around painfully inside. And God shows us more about when the impossible strikes in the story of Goliath. You remember the Israelites came out against the Philistines and they were standing and at that time you sort of stand at a distance, you looked at each other, you were ready to fight. And then something really weird happened. This guy named Goliath came out and he said, I tell you what, instead of all of us fighting and all the mess of that, you send one guy out and we'll send one guy out, me, and you defeat me, then we will be your slaves. You got us. But if I beat your guy, you'll be our slaves. We got you. The only problem with that is, is the Bible says Goliath was a giant over nine feet tall. Now, the average Israelite at that time, in fact, the tall Israelite at that time would probably have been five, five. And so somebody over nine feet is almost twice as tall as he. It kind of might have looked like this, like this little kid looking up to this man. And certainly they're ready for a game of basketball. And if they were to play a game of basketball, the little kid would not stand a chance against the man that's nearly twice his size. Well, this is what happened with the Israelites. Except this isn't a game of basketball. This is real life. This is life and death and slavery. So we see in 1 Samuel 17, 11 in the NIV, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, if we look at that word dismay, dismay means to suddenly, foundationally be surprised. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. So dismayed actually means being knocked off of your foundation. You see, that's where the Israelites were. They had brave men. They had trained. They were armed. They were psyched. They were ready to go into battle against the Philistines. And all of a sudden, all that went away. And they had to face what seemed to be impossible, a man nearly twice their size. And if they lost, which seemed inevitable, they would become the slaves of the Philistines, knocked off their foundation. Well, I need to say that I kind of got knocked off my foundation. Because part of my foundation is my mom. My mom gave me the foundation of who I am. She physically gave me this body. She very meticulously made sure I had vitamins all the time, which they attribute to maybe my high stature. She meticulously gave me the right foods to eat. And not only physically, but mentally, she taught me things. She showed me right and wrong. She corrected me when I needed to be corrected. She encouraged me when I did the right things. Spiritually, she taught me about kindness and faithfulness. She taught me about consequences in life. She taught me that going to church is important and introduced me to God there. She prayed for me when I was a wayward adult. So very much a part of my foundation is tied to her. And her foundation, I mean, the person I am, the husband I am, the father I am, the pastor I am, it's all very much related to her. And so when she is threatened, the length of her life, the quality of her life, man, I'm just kind of knocked off my foundation. And let me say, like the pull the rug out game there, this isn't any game, this is real. So the response to their foundation being rocked was, yes, they cried out, but also they collapsed. They just all fell back. And the same thing happens with us in life. When the impossible smacks us, man, we just got really sure where or how to stand. And so what happens is the fall comes swift and the fall comes hard. 
We also see more about what God shows us about the impact and the impossible on us. When the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites after they had freed them towards the Red Sea and they were kind of had their backs up against the wall, so to speak, in Exodus 14.10 in the NIV, we see as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified. And you see, that's what the impossible does. It just keeps coming after us. It's relentless. I mean, we can maybe forget about it for a little while, but then it comes back again. And again, we may just kind of go away a little bit, but then its intensity comes back again, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what happened to the Egyptians. The uh, Egyptians were marching after them, and their response to that was, was they were terrified. Yes, they cried out. They collapsed. They fell back. But they also did this. They also contemplated. They're like, why are we here? You, Moses, it's your fault. We told you back in Egypt to leave us alone. But you wouldn't leave us alone. And so now we're out here in the desert, our backs against the sea. The Egyptians are coming. And it would have been better if we had just stayed slaves in Egypt. Maybe, maybe we can start walking towards them with our hands raised. And maybe they'll take us back as slaves. Why did this happen to us? What can we do? And that's what happens when we're slapped with the impossible. A lot of times it's like, why? What am I going to be able to do now? And when we cry out and we collapse and we contemplate the impossible in our lives, it all is based in fear. We're afraid. In fact, my mom, when she came out of the doctor's office uh, uh, a little more than a week ago with the news, she goes, why did this happen to me? Why? And the truth is there are really no answers to that. There's no answers to where you are. I mean, there may be answers somewhere down the pike, but certainly not where you are, not where you need them right now. And so we also see when it comes to God showing us about the impossible, when it smacks us in our lives, we can look at Isaiah. In Isaiah, we see in his sixth chapter, verses 5 and 8 in the NIV, we see that he was taken up to heaven. So there he is up in heaven. And let me ask you this. Picture yourself being taken up to heaven. And when you're there, what do you think you'd be focused on? Okay, let me, I'm going to show you three pictures on the screen right now that might help you see what would your focus be if you were taken up on heaven. Probably would be God, it would be Jesus. What was Isaiah's focus? He says, woe to me, I am ruined. You see, his focus isn't on God and isn't on Jesus, it's on himself. And that's what happens when the impossible smacks us. Our focus isn't usually on God. Our first focus is on me. Oh, woe is me. What's going to happen? But you know, Isaiah really kind of had a good reason for feeling that way. Whereas he says, I am a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, Isaiah believed that it was impossible for the imperfect to be in the presence of the perfect. In other words, it was impossible for him as a person, as he described a man of unclean lips, to be in the presence of God, to see God. In fact, there are stories in the Old Testament when angels even came, not even God himself, but angels were exposed to people who were not good people. Those people just instantly died. So he's thinking, oh, no, I am ruined. I'm going to die. This is it. But we see next God's intent for all of us. When we are faced with things that are difficult and well beyond difficult to impossible in our life. 
For continuing in Isaiah 6, 5, and 8 in the NIV, we read, Then one of the seraphs, seraphs are the creatures in heaven, winged creatures. And so then one of the seraphs with a live coal in his hand from the altar said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Instead of him being ruined there with the impossibility of that situation, what God did was God came to him and his guilt was taken away. His sin was atoned for. So what does that word atone mean? It means to repair, to make right. And let me say, when God wants to make us atoned, it's not just to repair and make us right. That's part of it, but it's very different than, say, like if you take your car into the auto mechanic to be repaired and for whatever's problem with it to be made right to get you back on the road. No, when God atones us, it is as if we are at one with him and he remakes us. In other words, he makes us new again. Thus, it's not a matter of us being able to redo our crying out, our collapsing, our contemplating in fear. Rather, it is a matter of becoming right with God and keeping Him near. That's what God does. That's what His atonement is. That's what He did here with Isaiah. He was right with God and kept Him near. So when we talk about near, we talk about being remade. What it is, is we're really under a new set of circumstances, a new reality. And let me just say, it's not always hunky-dory. It's not groovy cool or peachy keen it's not always awesome it's not always all that you want it to be but once the impossible hits us and we draw near to god there is a new reality for us it's kind of like somebody said hey bill uh let's replace the pt you know you have a few problems with it and uh what kind of car would you like to drive i said how about a classic ferrari that would be nice so i would be driving around for a while in this classic ferrari and then after that, the impossible would happen in my mind. It would break down. Wouldn't go anymore. And then after that, it would require that we somehow find classic Ferrari parts, probably have to come from Italy. They would be very, very expensive, very hard to find. And not only that, you'd have to pay somebody to put them in. And that would be really, really expensive as well. And the reality is, is I couldn't afford to keep my classic Ferrari on the road going down the road of life. What would I do? Well, there'd have to be a new reality for me. Got to have some way to get from point A to B because I'm going all the time. And so that new reality could be a donkey. And you know, although you say that's terrible, a donkey could get you around better than a broken down Ferrari. But then maybe that new reality might be a bicycle. Because you could certainly get around easier on a bicycle than you could on a donkey and a broken down Ferrari. Or maybe that new reality might be a bus pass. And the bicycle hanging off the front of the bus really could get you a lot of places. Certainly better than depending on a donkey or a broken Ferrari. Or maybe that new reality might be a motorcycle, which would be really good. It would be better than the bike and the bus, except on really rainy days. Certainly better than the donkey, better than the broken down Ferrari. Or maybe that new reality for you would be just simply a really good used car. Better than the motorcycle, the bike, the bus, the donkey, and the broken Ferrari. And you see, that's the way God works. When there is a new reality in our life, he tries to put us in the best position in that new reality. It's not hunky-dory, peachy king, groovy cool, all awesome, all the way you want it. But that's where you are. 
And God wants the best for you there. And so as we see with Isaiah, God asked a question and God said, Who shall I send? And what he's referring to is, he says, Who shall I send from heaven to tell people about me and to make a difference in people's lives and in the world? And you would think a whole bunch of angels would go up or, you know, or somebody else. But who steps up? (laughs) It's Isaiah. He says, hey, send me. An instant earlier, he goes, woe is me. The impossible has happened. I've a perfect being, seeing a perfect being. I'm about to die. And God goes, no, no, that's not my intent for you. No, Isaiah, I'm going to make you right. I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to actually remake you. And that's the same thing God says to you and to me when we are smacked with the impossible in our lives. He wants to remake us. And in doing that, there's a new reality. And it's not what you want, not the the greatest, but he will give you the best in that new reality. He will send you forth in that way. We see, too, more about God's possibilities Again, in the story of Peter, when we left him last time, he was kind of sinking. And now in Matthew's 14th chapter, verses 29 and 30 in the NIV, we see immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. The response of Peter was to be right with God and keeping him near. With him near, God could reach out. Jesus could reach out and could pick him up. And that's what happens to us. God, when he is near to us, when we are faced with the impossible, man, he catches us by the hand, too, and lifts us up. And when he does that, look what happened. They climbed in the boat, and the wind died down. Now, let me say, when Peter was sinking, he had no thought of getting into the boat, no thought of the fact that the wind was going to die down later. He was just focused right there on what was impossible. And so what happened is, is when we are near to God in the impossible, we get impacted by his sight. We're able to see beyond what is right before us. We're able to see into what that new reality is and might be. Now, for me, when I left uh, the Winter Park Christian Church after 12 years as pastor there, I didn't know where I was going or what I was going to do. I didn't know where the paycheck was going to come after the uh, severance ran out. I felt like God was calling me to plant a church in Iowa. And so I went to Iowa and that didn't seem to be the right thing. And then after that, uh, maybe to go take over a church in Seattle. So I corresponded with people in Seattle, but then that didn't seem to be the right thing. And then after that, I didn't know what to do except just to stay near to God. It would have been great if I could have peered around the corner into the future. But we're not able to do that. So we just need to stay near to God. And what happened was God ultimately led me to East Point. And see, that's what God really wanted. But I had to keep him near, knowing that after the impossible of not having a church and not having a job passed, that he would show me the way, and he did. We also see a little bit more about God's possibilities if we pick up the story again of Goliath, and this time David enters the picture. Because we see in 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 46 in the NIV, that David said to Goliath, you come with sword and spear. But I come in the name of the Lord Almighty. You see, his response was not to cry out, collapse, or contemplate in fear, but again, to stay right with God and keeping him near. Some, like the Israelites, saw the sword and the spear, and it was all fear time. 
but not so with David because he was impacted by God's sight when he was near. He could see that he would be able to overcome him. And he was able to see, too, that the might of God was going to be with him and overcoming him. This is the day the Lord will hand you over to me, David said to Goliath, and I will strike you down. And you see, that's what happens when we're in the midst of the impossible and God is near. His strength is there, and he has real strength. He has real power. He has real fortitude. And he wants that to be a part of who we are in those really, really tough times. And let me say that he has, in this last week, given me strength to understand what's coming up ahead, or not to really understand, but just to be positioned, just be near as we turn that corner and we see what's going to be happening with my mom. And I pray that as I talk to her, that his strength is with her. It seems to be. And this is the strength that he offers us. Thousands of angels. And one of them, perhaps two of them, are for us. Jesus says it this way. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's comforting. And none of us really want to be weak. But when we are, when we're knocked down by the impossible, his power, his might is made perfect in us. Finally, God shows us something about his possibilities as we return to the Red Sea with Moses and the Israelites all backed up against it. And we see in Exodus 14, 13 through 16 in the NIV that Moses answered the frightened Israelites, don't be afraid, stand firm. You'll see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Kind of a funny thing, when we are faced with the impossible, we're not standing very still. We're crying out inside, bouncing all over the place. We also tend to collapse. We are contemplating why, what can I do? And so we're kind of all over the place. But Moses said to the Israelites, stand firm. Although God is everywhere all the time, it's much easier not to shoot and hit a moving target, which is what we are when we're in the impossible. So God says, stand firm. Slow down. Stop. What you're going to see is the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. But you need to be still. How did the Israelites respond to that? They kind of slowed down finally. They, they stopped the crying out. They stopped the collapsing. They stopped the contemplating in fear to be right with God and keeping him near. And, and thus they were able to see beyond where they were. That there was a life there. They were able to see his might in delivering them and fighting for them. But they also saw something else. That was God's light. Up until that time, even up into the sea, the scriptures tell us there was a pillar of cloud by day and there was a fire by night. And that's what guided them and led them. There's a group called Evermore and they have a song about the impossible. It really speaks to what we are learning from God, and He's showing us. Watch this. Just a boy with a sling and a stone, but the heart of a lion dared him to go. To hear the sound of the cynical die out with the sound of the giant's fall.
like a line in that song that says, I won't look back. And we see that in the story of Moses, the Israelites, they're back against the Red Sea, the Egyptians marching at them. In Exodus 14, 19 through 20 in the NIV, where it says, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. You see, the reason the angel did that and the reason the cloud of God's presence did that is because they knew if the Israelites were looking back at the impossible, they would not be able to look ahead at what God said was possible. And the same thing is true for us as we see in Psalm 139.5 in the message. The psalmist says, I look behind me and you're there. And then I look ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence. You see, we're looking at what is humanly impossible. We can't look ahead to see what God, that he said, is possible. It's like what Matthew 19.26 said. Humanly speaking, (laughs) there's lots of stuff that's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Psalm 37.24 in the NIV says, For the Lord upholds me with his hand. In Isaiah 49, 2, and the good news says, with God's own hand, he protects me. You see, God does uphold us when we're smacked with those things that we just don't have any capacity to deal with. And he protects us in those things as well. So when it comes to the impossible, things that are beyond the scope of our perception, we need to understand that they are within the scope of God's perception. With God, the impossible is possible. God says, I'm possible. And if you'll let go of the fear and keep him near, God said, in me, you're possible too. Will you pray with me? Great God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, for your word. And Father, I just pray that in this week to come, that many of us are facing things that seem impossible to us, that Father, we will grab a hold of you. We'll let go of the fear. We'll draw you near. Knowing, Father, that you'll show us through your sight a new reality and beyond that new reality. That you'll show us, Father, in that your might, that you will strengthen us within to deal with what is to come. And that you, Father, also will shed upon us your light. That you will guide us in the best way, the best parts of that new reality for our lives. All these things we thank you, God. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.